As you go one-on-one with God, He is driving your heart to His heart. That when He saw the masses, when He saw people, He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. His heart was broken and it says He had compassion for them. I pray that God is deepening that in your heart for your one. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Good morning and welcome to a packed out house. This is pretty awesome in the room, right? Some are a little disappointed. I see some families kind of split up and spread apart. I even got Baptists on the front row. That's how you know you got a full house. And so after Easter, uh, next Sunday, you won't have a problem. Next Sunday, we're outside. You'll have plenty of room both at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. When we come back the next week, uh, it looks like in our city, we pray that masks and distancing will be uh, taken off and we'll be able to get even more seating in the auditorium. And so thank you for being a part of the service today. We're continuing to focus on who's your one. Now, I hope that every day you wake up, you're more importantly checking in on your walk with God. That out of that relationship with Him, as you go one-on-one with God, He is driving your heart to His heart. That when He saw the masses, when He saw people, He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. His heart was broken, and it says He had compassion for them. I pray that God is deepening that in your heart for your one. Now, we happen to be right now, uh, after COVID, we lost it last year, March Madness. And everybody now should have a bracket. Did you do a bracket this year? You got a chance to do a bracket. Some did and some didn't. Who's your one? Who Have they already been knocked out? Well, OU and OSU certainly had some disappointing losses that knocked them out a little earlier than we expected. So we may not have one left in our bracket or one in the tournament. But it's still good to see it get back to normal. Well, I was introduced last week to a special story. We're going to take a look in just a moment at a special player who plays for Grand Canyon University. Not sure if you know of them, but their basketball program is on the rise. Uh, The unfortunate thing is, as they got into the tournament, they were a 16 seed and they had to play a number one seed. I want you to listen to this remarkable story. Tune in and check out the story of Oscar Freyer. I started playing basketball fourth grade for uh, church league, CYO, um, St. Beats. Those are my guys, man. I, I don't take them for granted to this day. Family means everything to me, man. Um, not having a father growing up, I feel like that definitely has brought me closer to my family, especially my mom's side. Um, it's, there's, they've instilled literally everything into me, like my characteristics, my traits, my, my humbleness, my love for the game of basketball, my love just, just being a good person. I feel like that's all that they all ever wanted from me.
about it. It was a lot of distractions off the court. It was a lot of distractions on the court as well. Um, just coming in and not being focused and not being a, uh, just having a, the, the wrong crowd around me, I believe. Having to uh, literally like lean on my teammates and lean on my guys that, that, uh, that want to see me win and like letting them down, I feel like that was the, the biggest part for me. My mother, she's been my backbone through it all. Um, she supported me through the good, through the bad. She's definitely stated that, you know, you got to make decisions and you got to change. It meant the world to me because I don't want to go through the same things that I went through last year. Um, breaking habits, um, just having the, the, the will and the want to be better and be a better person and be a better person on the court and off the court. It was times where I wanted to give up on myself and I know that I couldn't because these guys are sitting here watching me. My mom is sitting here watching me, my, my family, my brothers, my, uh, my whole support system, they're just sitting here watching me and I, I knew that if I was to give up on myself, they, would, they wouldn't like that and I know I wouldn't like that. So I know that I'd have to come back out here and uh, make up for it, for sure. Six foot six senior for Grand Canyon. He accomplished his life dream, got to play in the NCAA tournament. While it only lasted one game, he still made his way to the big dance. As you look in on his life, they lost 86 to 74, not a bad loss when you're a 16 seed. He was known throughout his career after 107 starts for this university. They nicknamed him the High Flyer. I think you can tell why when you watch the highlights. He was a Duncan machine, a talented young man. He was their leader of the team, known for his infectious smile, his energetic spirit, and also the soul of the team. As he accomplished that dream a week ago, Three days later, Oscar and his two sisters, late early one morning, would end up in a crash and would lose his life. As you watch that, did you see the life that was there? Did you see the energy, the passion? Did you hear the story? A young man who was struggling, who had great talents, who got distracted because of peer groups in his life and got into the wrong crowd, growing up without a father who also was killed in a car crash when he was seven years old. As he would make his way through life, as he would grow up with a good support system, he would still find himself, like we do, straying off the path, finding himself ineligible because of off-the-court uh, behavior. And then a second chance. And then COVID. And then this year. And they make it to the big dance. It's his senior year, the last game he would ever play, not just because he was a senior, but because he didn't know three days later, after his dream was accomplished, he would no longer be on this planet. When I remember seeing that story, it humbled me, not just because of the tragedy, 
but to realize no one is guaranteed tomorrow. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter where you live or where you come from. Nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. But here's my point. We would all, we just amen. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow, right? Then why do we as a church live like there is a tomorrow? I wonder, I wonder when he was struggling. I wonder who was in his life. Who could have embraced him as their one? Now, I don't know if he was a believer or not. I know he had some good things planned in his life. I know he said in the video he wanted to be a good person. But we all know that falls short of the glory of God. I pray that he knew Jesus. I pray he had someone who had a passion for his soul. Because that young man is now in eternity. And that's a humbling reminder that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. There was a video we were hoping to put together, and we couldn't get it done in time this year, but a family in our church, they are now members of our church, now a young family, they have a child, and a few Easter's ago, they were trying to figure out exactly where God was in their story. The gentleman uh, was searching, had had a religious background, but didn't know the Lord at the time. Right before Easter, he told his wife, he said, I really feel like we ought to go to church this Easter. And she was excited. She was a believer, and, and she'd been praying for her husband, not exactly sure where he was in his relationship with the Lord. As she went to work out that morning, she did her normal workout, went to get ready for the rest of the day, and as she walked in the locker room, there was someone from PCBC who had been there before her. They took one of those simple Easter invite cards, and because they cared about someone coming to know Christ, they did that sneaky strategy of accidentally leaving those behind. Right there on the laboratory, right there on the sink, where hopefully somebody would pick it up, and sure enough, she did. She looked at that card, and she thought, wow, we just talked about going to church this Easter. They didn't know where they were going to go, and here's this card planted right in front of her. Challenge was it was a Baptist church. That didn't help matters for uh, those who weren't necessarily from a Baptist background, but she took it home, showed it to her husband. They showed up that Easter, and it was through Easter that they would begin to connect with our church. Brother Sean was able to sit down with her husband a few days, weeks later, I don't remember the exact time, and led him to the Lord. And that family is now actively engaged because someone knew God would place someone else in their path that they could make a difference for all of eternity. And they have, and you can as well. We just gotta show up for duty, amen? amen? So here's some reminders, here's some reviews. When we go one-on-one with the Lord, when we are walking with the shepherd of our soul, guess what the shepherd will lead you to? He will lead you to another soul. A soul that is separated from him, a soul that needs the same grace and forgiveness that you have, and the shepherd will guide you to somebody else's path that needs the Jesus that lives in your soul. And so we know that everyone has someone who needs to know the one. Last week we looked at Luke 19.10 and we were reminded that Jesus came for a purpose. He didn't come to give a new religion to this planet. He came to seek and save the lost. And I want you to understand just because that was over 2,000 years ago, because he accomplished the work of the Father on a cross, died, buried in what we're going to celebrate, not just next Sunday, but every day, the resurrection of Jesus. 
He isn't done seeking and saving the lost. That is still the passion of our Savior. He just chooses to do that through you and through me. So let's dig in and let's take a look at how we can be a part of God's kingdom purpose for our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians this morning. Find Colossians, go to chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is engaging this new church, these young believers, and he is coaching them. He is exhorting them to experience God's kingdom call for their lives. He's reminding them God didn't just save you to go to heaven. God saved you to be his ambassadors, to make a difference in your lifetime, to make a difference where you are, to make a difference throughout all the earth. And we wake up in verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, and he says this, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. As you look at verse 2, the first thing I want you to see is his challenge to be devoted to prayer. Well, well, what does that look like? What does it mean to be devoted to prayer? And what should we be devoted to as we are praying? The first thing he says is keep alert, keep alert. Now, there are all kinds of challenges to be on the alert in the New Testament, certainly to the body of Christ. He says, we ought to wake up every day on the alert. Is Jesus coming back today? Do a word search on it, and you'll see time after time after time, Jesus gave parables that said, stay alert, be ready, I am coming back, be ready, don't go to sleep on me. I'm afraid the church in America has gone to sleep. I'm afraid we're not as alert as we should be. Did you wake up this morning and saying, man, could today be the day that Jesus returns? That changes your perspective. That changes everything when you're waiting for his return. But there's another reason we need to be on alert. You can write down the reference verse and you probably know it. First Peter chapter five and verse eight says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. In other words, sober spirit means be in control. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under influences. Don't be under the influence of this world. No, stay sober. Stay under the control of the Holy Spirit. And in that, be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I doubt that the family or the friends of Oscar Freyer even contemplated that three days later he was going to be gone. I'm sure that we many times are not as alert as we need to be of those around us that need our story, God's story through our story. But we must remain in a, uh, in a position of prayer. We must be devoted to prayer, keeping alert. The enemy is playing for keeps. Don't live with eternal regrets. How else are we devoted in prayer? Not only in keeping alert, not only alert for Jesus' return and alert for the enemy's attacks, but he says that we are to do that with an attitude of thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6, you know that verse as well, says don't be anxious about anything. But in all these anxious things, everything that you're praying about, do that, give those prayers to God, but listen to what he says, with thanksgiving. Now let's be honest. We don't have any trouble going to God with our prayers. We don't have trouble saying, God, I'm overwhelmed. God, I need your help. And we're good about praying about anxious things, are we not? We got that part down. But when do we give God the thanksgiving? After he answers the prayer. Do you see how we miss the mark? 
The Bible doesn't say pray, seek God, let God do his thing, which only he can do, and then give him thanksgiving. The Bible says as you come to him every day, devoted in prayer, praying about all things at all times, as you're praying, don't just ask of God, but on the front end, thank God as well. Why would we do that? It's not to manipulate God. God, thank you for revealing to me those lottery numbers this week. God, I give you praise. It's not a manipulation prayer. It's not thanking him for what we want. It's being devoted in prayer, taking to him the issues of our heart, and thanking him because he's God of all things. He's the God of all provision. And so I don't have to wonder, will he answer? I'm already thanking him on the front end. God, thank you that you're going, and in this case, I'm praying for my one. And I'm praying every single day. And it doesn't matter how difficult that one looks. I'm giving God thanksgiving that he's working in that person's life, that he is changing them. Now, I'll tell you something really crazy. I told you about the long guy last week. If you were here, the long guy that's in my neighborhood. Did you notice what happened to the weather after my sermon on Sunday? It got bitter cold and bitter wet. I haven't seen the long guy all week long. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to, I got to. I got to connect. What, what's good? Lord, I'm committed. Lord, I'm praying. I'm, I'm not worried. I know God's at work, even if I don't see it, even if I don't understand it. God, thank you that you're working in his life. God, thank you for the opportunity that you're giving me this year to reach him with the gospel. God, thank you. Give him thanks. And the third thing, go to verse 3 now, he tells us to be devoted in praying for, is praying for kingdom opportunities. Is that a part of your prayer life? Have you even prayed in that manner and in that direction and that way? Paul teaches us to pray. Look, verse 3. He says, praying at the same time. He says, I understand you're praying for the things in your world, but he requests prayer. Not only does he teach about prayer, not only does he instruct them about prayer, but he models for them what it means to be devoted to prayer. Now look at his prayer life. Praying at the same time for us as well that God would open up to us a door for the word. Paul says, not only do you need to be praying for the things in your world, pray for our world as well. We should be all praying for one another. Not only should you be praying for your one, but you need to be praying for everyone in this room. You need to be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ and praying that God would break loose among us and that we would have everyday opportunities to reach someone with the gospel, to be able to declare the truth and the blessing of the gospel. That was Paul's prayer. He said, pray for us. Pray that there would be an open door in front of us that we would proclaim the mystery of Christ. Which, oh, by the way, this is why I'm in prison, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. As you look at the context of this passage, Paul's writing this letter from prison, like many of his letters. Paul would always find himself in prison because he was always preaching the gospel. It was not politically correct, and it was against the law, or in many people's minds, it was against their religion. And so there was cancel culture back in his day as well. And Paul was canceled out, relegated to prison bars because they didn't want to hear the gospel. Did that stop his witness? No. He continued to pray, and notice what he didn't ask for. Did you see it? Notice what he didn't ask for. He didn't ask for God to open the prison doors so he could get out. That's probably how we would have prayed for Paul. 
We probably would have had, and there's nothing wrong with praying for that. We want Paul with us. We want Paul declaring the gospel. We want Paul to be able to do what God's called him to do, to reach the Gentiles. But notice Paul's passion. It wasn't for his own comfort. It wasn't for his own good. It was for the glory of God through the gospel. Open a door, not a prison door, but those prison doors on men and women's hearts that need to know the Jesus who has set me free. A lot of people would have seen their prison sentence as a punishment from God. They would have seen it as God letting them down, putting them on the bench. Many would have thought, well, now I can't carry out my calling, God. You better get me out of this prison. If you want me to be a good boy and do what you call me to do, you got to get me out of here. That's not Paul's focus. He didn't get distracted by his circumstances. He understood that the Lord, as he would write in Romans, works good things for good. Is that what he wrote? Works what? All things. All things include good things. They also include challenging things. They include freedom outside of prison and also an unjust decision that has placed him behind bars. And it didn't matter what things he was facing in his day, he kept his face focused on one thing and that was taking the gospel to whoever came across his path. Now in those days, you know, and, and Paul being this radical leader of this new thing called Christianity, he was a high max security prisoner. Often they would chain a guard to Paul so he couldn't get out or they couldn't break him out. How would you like that assignment? How'd you like to be the soldier handcuffed to Paul? But you don't see that. You see people listening. You see people watching. You see people wanting what he has. You know why? Because he's living a joyful life, even in his circumstances. Can I tell you something? I believe this to be true from all of Scripture and all that God teaches. It doesn't matter what is going on. It doesn't matter how bad that issue is, the disappointments of our life. We can either let those disappointments shackle us and lock us up, or we can see those disappointments as an opportunity to set someone free through our story. Disappointments don't have to be so disappointing. Disappointments don't have to get the final say. Disappointments don't have to rob us of God's call in our life. It just opens new doors. Paul had a new ministry. On the Damascus Road, God didn't reveal himself and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you a prison ministry. He said, I'm going to have you preach to the Gentiles. But guess what happened? He got a prison ministry. He got all kinds of ministry opportunities because he didn't let disappointments rob him of his calling. Guys, life is messy. Have we figured that out yet? Does it take another virus to wake us up? Is it going to take another mess in your life to get you to realize an eternal perspective? But what happens is the enemy uses our messes to silence our message. God works even in our messes to give us a bridge for the message. And if you can receive that, if you can hear that right now, it is possible that God could bring revival in your heart, in this church, and in our nation. 
Because we're in a mess. And it's getting messier. But it's getting darker so that the message can shine brighter. Paul's dark mess gave him a door of opportunity. And you can either see that as something that keeps you out, that's locked you out, that's locked you down, or you can see that as something to walk through to get to the other side. And I know that our government has locked us down, closed the doors, sheltered us from one another, separated us from fellowship. That doesn't stop the message. And I would tell you that people are more open today for the gospel than ever before. You say, I don't see that. All I see is people trying to boycott ORU in a tournament. All I see is people trying to silence the church. I'm telling you, as hearts in this nation are going through bigger messes, they are ready for the message more than ever before. We just got to show up like Paul did. God opened the door that we might have the opportunity to share this message. Well, I can already hear some people saying, well, that's the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, he's one of those radical guys. He was specially called. I didn't have a Damascus Road uh, experience with the Lord. I'm just saved going to heaven. I'm not called like that preacher or that staff or that apostle. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. If you know Jesus, we've, we've documented this over and over again. All of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. All of us. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Whoopie stinking do. As you can tell, I don't have the gift of mercy, do I? But that doesn't give me a ticket from heaven to say, you get to be a rude dude. No. I'm a spirit-filled guy. I'm supposed to be. Now, I can get plenty rude. I can get outside mercy, but walking in the spirit, mercy comes alive in me. Whether I got the gift or not, I got the Lord, the Holy Spirit, who is all of that. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but the Bible says all of us have been called to do the work of an evangelist. We're all ambassadors, not just a few of us, every single one of us. So how do we do it? Well, let's keep going. He's given instructions, not just to evangelists, not just to the disciples, but to all those at the church in, Col in Colossae. Look at verse 5. So now he instructs them. He's been talking about being devoted to prayer. He's been talking about praying for his ministry. He's praying for theirs. And now he says, as you carry out this ministry five, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Now that's not a statement of condemnation. That's not saying we're here and they're here. He's just saying they're outside the faith. They're not in Christ yet. They're outside of Christ and as you are relating to people in this world who are not in Christ, there is a way you are to conduct yourself. Don't look to the pattern of other Christians. Look to Christ as our pattern. Don't look to what our culture would try to squeeze into you and say, if you're going to be a Christian in this country, here's the only way you're getting away with it. No, we look to Christ. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. What's Paul saying in verse 5? Well, number one, he's saying, earn the right to be heard. Earn the right to be heard. It's not enough just to live a good life, but if you're not living a godly life dedicated to walking with him one-on-one, -on -one, you'll never reach your one. Your conduct is the key to open doors. And I would tell you that when we compromise ungodly conduct or acting like those who have no God, Locks that door tight. 
It shuts you off from any opportunity to be able to introduce them to the transformation of Jesus Christ. If we're not living transformation, who wants what we have? There's plenty of religion out there already. They can get that on any corner of any street in this city. They need Jesus. Earn the right to be heard. And number two, our conduct should be purposeful. He says, be wise with your time. Live life on purpose. Make the most of your time. Be wise. Don't you know there's so many that woke up last week regretting, why didn't I take time? Why didn't I spend more time with Oscar? Why didn't I, why didn't I tell him my story? Why didn't I? Make the most of every single day because that's all you have. That's all you have is today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. We already blew yesterday. We've already spent that day, but we have today. Let's be wise. Let's have eyes open for doors of opportunity as we make the most of our time. But be targeted with your time. Be specific with your time. It took me a while to learn that personal discipline of time management of using a calendar to control what God was wanting to do in my day versus my day wanting to control me. And if you are not targeted, if you don't have goals set for each day, if you don't walk in the day with the goal of making an impact in somebody's life, guess what will happen that day? You're not going to make an impact. Be targeted. Make sure that you are making the most of your time and that you are looking for those opportunities listening for open doors and walking through those doors so how do you walk through the door let's go we're almost done verse six for he goes on to say your speech must always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person paul tells them be devoted in prayer paul tells them watch over your testimony Build a testimony that is attractive to a world that needs to know the Jesus that's changing you. And now he says, be wise with your speech. It's not enough just to live it. You also have to share it. And as we look at this, he teaches them how to speak to your one. Number one, he says, don't preach at them. Don't preach at them. I remember in the early 80s, uh, late 80s, when I came to PCBC, I remember preachers on the street corners all around 39th, MacArthur, Rockwell. And I remember them out there. It was part of their training at a specific church. And I remember yelling, they were yelling at people, telling them they're going to hell, telling them they need to uh, either repent or they're never going to know God's love. They're not worth you know, all this. And it just, it was the most offsetting, hurtful thing to the kingdom. That didn't preaching the gospel that's religious judgmentalism the bible says we are to speak with grace and don't talk down at them don't talk down at them like they're living in the gutter and you're not be gracious in your speech don't shove jesus down their throats jesus didn't do that you don't have time to turn here but in luke 4 20 through 22 it says that jesus got up one day in the synagogue and he preached the gospel he pointed in the Old Testament to the verse that pointed to who he was, who he came to set the captive free, and that he was that one Scripture was speaking of. He rolled up the scroll, he laid it down, and he went and he sat down. And listen to what it says. 
Jesus said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people were speaking well of him and admiring the gracious words which were coming from his lips. He had every right to point fingers. He had every right to bring down judgment from heaven because they were living like you know what. But he didn't do that. He spoke the truth in love. He shared what scripture said. He pointed them to the way, the truth, and life and said, oh, by the way, that is me. I fulfill this this very day in front of your eyes. For those who have an ear to hear, graciously, he spoke the truth. Unfortunately, Baptists have gotten a rap that somewhat has been earned by some, and not all, as Bible thumpers, Jesus shovers, condemners of this world, rather than being known as people of grace who've been transformed by that grace and graciously share the truth in love. He goes on to say, not only should it be gracious speech, but it needs to be salty speech. You remember how you had your mouth washed out for salty speech when you were growing up? He ain't talking about that kind of speech. He's talking about seasoned speech. That when we're having conversations, they shouldn't just be secular, completely secular. We need to season. Now, if you dump the whole bottle of salt on the meal, what have you just done to the meal? So here's what happens. Some do no salt and some over salt. And Jesus says, just be gracious. Throw some salt in the conversation. Be gracious and salty. When you add salt to the food, what happens to that person? They get Thank you, thank you. They get thirsty. Our world doesn't seem to be very thirsty for the things of God. You know why? There's no salt being applied to the conversation and to the culture. God help us. God help us be salty. God help us be gracious. And then look at the very last line, and we'll close with this. And he said, be ready to respond to each person. Anyone... And everyone can be your one when you're walking in the Spirit. Fascinating at the end of one of the missionary journeys as they came back to report to the church in Acts 14, 27. It says that when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They began to report all things that God had done with them. How he had opened a door. Opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They got together and they had a celebration. You know why? Because someone, many ones, had come to know Jesus. God opened the door. I pray that throughout this year as we keep gathering together, that every time we gather, someone's going to have a story. Somebody's going to be able to testify. God opened a door for me this week. God did this this week. Why? Because we lived with purpose. We lived taking advantage of every moment of every day. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed, every eye closed. What have you heard this morning? The word of God will not return void. It was sent out this morning. Not my words, his word. And the Bible says it will accomplish the purpose in which it's sent forth. What purpose did God have for your heart in this passage? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that might mean, but I know this, it's bearing some kind of fruit. It's causing some kind of change. So how do you respond? 
online if you're worshiping with us right now. How do you respond? What is God saying to you? I need to be more devoted in prayer. Well, confess that. And ask God to equip you to be prayerful with thanksgiving, with a passion for the lost, looking for opportunities and praying for your one. Because he's still seeking to save the lost. But maybe God's speaking to your heart because you are lost. You're an outsider. You're not in Christ. You're just sitting in church. Or you're sitting online worshiping with us, but you're not in Christ. So how does that change? Just like it did for Paul on the road to Damascus. He had to repent of his religion. He had to repent of his own works and had to confess that Jesus was Lord and Savior. Trusting him to be the Lord of his life, and he just called on his name. That's all you have to do. Say, how do I do that? Just say, dear Jesus, save me. I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. Save me. And he will. It's that simple. But it requires complete surrender. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.